Welcome to Right to the Point, a podcast featuring conversation and biblical solutions to America's cultural challenges. Hi, I'm Tim Throckmorton of LifePoint Ministries. To learn more about LifePoint and to access past episodes of Right to the Point podcast and commentary, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please visit LifePointUSA.org. We're so glad you've joined us, and in this episode, we welcome Dr. Everett Piper, the author of the national bestseller, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, and a book called Grow Up. (laughs) Life isn't safe, but it's good. Dr. Piper served as president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University for 17 years, during which time he led his school from relative obscurity to a position of national recognition and influence. Piper presently serves as a contributing columnist to the Washington Times. Dr. Piper, welcome to the show. Well, Tim, thanks for having me on again. It's always fun to join you. Well, it's fun to hang out with you when I get to see you. And then I love the podcast, the Rebellion podcast. It's something that uh, I like to listen to. And then let me mention DrEverettPiper.com because a lot of resources there. I, I ask you to join me today because of a recent column you wrote regarding what happened in Israel just, uh, well, 40 or so days ago from our recording of this, uh, something unspeakable, unbelievable, that literally on the scale of violence and terrorism is is just simply <laughs> unmatched. If you compare what would have taken place here on, on our scale I think the the loss of life was around 44, 45,000 people, comparatively speaking. But you you wrote a column addressing a a issue about universities and kids on universities responding to this. So to 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 talk about that column and deal with issues that are multifaceted, uh, just just open up and describe the column a little bit for for my listeners, and then. Uh, your take on where we are right now. Well, again, as you know, I I wrote this column uh, for the Washington Times. I'm a contributing columnist for them on a weekly basis. And I chose right after October 7th to write this column because a lot of people were suggesting that somehow this was a issue for the Middle East. And I felt that they weren't recognizing that it's a lot closer to to our own backyard than what we might think. And the reason I say that is look at your universities. When when we start talking about these atrocities in Israel, where do you find the pro-Hamas sentiment? Well, predominantly, you find it in the ivory tower. For Harvard, for example, had more than 30 pro-Palestinian groups that released a statement right after October 7th, where they said the Jewish people were responsible for, quote-unquote, all unfolding violence. Now, just stop and think about that. You're seeing pictures of babies beheaded. You're seeing photographs of young women that are raped and then loaded on the back of pickup trucks, their dead bodies paraded before the Palestinians to cheer. All of these atrocities that took place were being celebrated and supported by 30 pro-Palestinian student groups at Harvard, where they actually said that the unfolding violence was justified against the Jews. And that's not just Harvard. It was at Berkeley, where they said, we invariably reject Israel's framing of itself as a victim in this situation. That's a quote. 
And then you've got George Mason, and I go on and on in the article, where they continue to blame the Jews for these things that we're talking about right now. And you just if you fast forward four weeks, I don't mention this in the article because it hadn't happened at the time I wrote this. Just yesterday, I was reading this news that a lot of young people, a lot of 20-year-olds, college-age students, co college-age people are now reading Osama bin Laden's um, uh, uh, letter, yeah. justification for his actions, and they are sympathetic with it. So my question is this, where does all of this stuff come from? And I would argue it comes from my own industry. It comes from the ivory tower. It comes from the ideas that we've been teaching our progeny for generation after generation. Since the 40s and 50s, we've been imbibing this neo-Marxism that has led us to critical theory and led us to, led us to the point of anti-colonialism. Does that language sound familiar? It's not just with regard to Israel that they're saying that colonialism is bad. They're blaming the United States for the exact same thing. So I would argue this. This stuff is coming out of the academy. It's coming out of the ivory tower. And it isn't unique to Berkeley or Brown or Harvard or Dartmouth or Princeton or Yale. Unfortunately, some of these very ideas, critical race theory, BLM, neo-Marxism, are being imbibed by our Christian universities too. So I'm a little incredulous here that people haven't been listening. I've been saying for decades, this is going to happen because of the ideas that we're teaching in our universities. Don't be surprised when the stuff that's happening in Israel comes home to roost here in the United States. And, you know, I conclude my article by saying, you know, don't assume it's going to stay in Gaza. It could be in Galveston, Texas, before you know it, because we're teaching the same stuff here. I, I listened uh, yesterday morning and I first I've heard about it the the letter the the Osama bin Laden letter and and at first I it was just unbelievable that this group of students who were you know listening to the letter talking about the letter sympathetic to the letter uh how how that could even happen I thought it was it sounded like a joke you would you know if you heard this 10 20 years ago it'd be a joke now not only are they sympathetic to it but they feel a a motivation to act and that's to your point this uh this is coming home to roost there there is fruit to to sin uh, you know what you sow to that's what you're going to reap and uh, ideologically uh, through education this is going to produce something and so it's not just i i love that's why the column caught my eye it's not just about what happens in israel this is happening everywhere and we we have have been protected from it to some point but now its roots are here and these folks are young they're energetic they're very technological technologically savvy and they have avenues to to respond and do something they're motivated to do through sheer evil yes and the, the irony here, when, when I go back to my own industry, the academy, the ivory tower, colleges and universities is being at fault here. Um, and by the way, I think I have the right and the responsibility to call out my own. Uh, and therefore, because education has been my career, I think I, I don't apologize for saying, wait a second, we need to tap the brakes because ideas have consequences. And what you teach in the classroom is going to take root in your culture. If you teach it in the school today, you're going to practice it tomorrow in your culture, in your courtrooms, in your Congress, and even in your living room. Those ideas will always 
come home to roost. And it would be crazy for the academy to argue otherwise. Otherwise, we'd put ourselves out of business. So as an educator, if I were to say, well, you know, that stuff that we teach in the universities, it really doesn't matter. It's not going to affect our culture in a negative way. Well, that's crazy. That would be to diminish the very importance or the very reason for going to school in the first place. So obviously, ideas do matter. And for year after year after year, decade after decade, we've been teaching that America is bad. It's not good. We're teaching that colonialism is an evil today in the United States. Well, where do you think we came from? We were the colonies of Great Britain. So the colonization of North America is now perceived as being an evil thing. And if you can justify the atrocities in Israel because of colonization and imperialism and uh, capitalism and white supremacy or whatever else they're going to label as being bad in Israel, the same exact language is being used here in the United States and the same ideas are being taught to our 18, 19, and 20-year-olds right now as we speak. And the irony is this isn't the heritage of the American Academy. I spend a lot of time in my article saying this is not how we started. For example, Harvard's mission statement, its initial mission statement was, was for Christ and the church. Yale's mission statement included phraseology such as to lay Christ at the bottom as the foundation of all learning. And I go on and on. Dartmouth, its purpose was to Christianize the American tribes. The voice of one crying in the wilderness was on their shield. The University of Pennsylvania's motto was laws without morals are useless. Brown University was, was founded under the banner of in God we hope. And I go on and on. We've got Bible verses that are still on the shields of these universities, but they don't even know where those verses come from. If you ask somebody why the uh, Northwestern University includes a passage of Philippians, they ask you, what's Philippians? They don't even know. So our students should be learning a biblical worldview by virtue of the charter of these institutions, but these institutions have become arrogant and they've abandoned the very truths they were chartered to teach. Well, th this plays uh, to uh, where we are in, as a church in America as well, uh, where I work each and every week with pastors and church leaders. This has created a, a moment where if there is courage in the pulpit, it's a moment for pastors to speak to this. Uh, I mean, is, the list goes on and on of things you can speak biblically to right now happening in America. And so just to, to deviate a little from the, the, the point we began with, this lands in the lap of the church, because as you're talking about these institutions, I'm thinking in my mind, hey, so-and-so founded this, and so-and-so found these, these godly founders are the ones who were the first presidents of some of those those schools that you that you mentioned earlier and that that biblical worldview was prevalent and now it's needed now more than ever what a great day to let a light shine god's entrusted us with this great moment well and i think it could be argued that there are three entities in culture that are responsible for inculcating the important ideas the values of a country, of a culture, of a church, of a college, of an organization, of a group of people. There are three entities that have the role of teaching the subsequent generations. You could argue it's parents, pastors, and professors, the three Ps, if you will. Moms and dads have the responsibility of teaching their kids to train them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart. Okay, that's our responsibility as parents. And then the pastor has the responsibility of 
preaching the truth of the gospel and of the Bible from the pulpit. And then obviously the professors, teachers, have the responsibility of teaching godly ideas, helping students pursue the truth rather than prop up their opinions. I think I've said it before on your show, uh, on your radio program. Um, I never gave away a diploma in opinions. I never said, congratulations, you're graduating today because you majored in opinions. That would have been crazy and absurd. I expected my students to actually learn something relevant to the truths of their discipline so that they knew more when they graduated than the day they started as a freshman. Again, it would be crazy for any school to claim otherwise. But yet today in this postmodern love affair that we have with ourselves, we're actually letting feelings trump facts. We turn Ben Shapiro's axiom of the facts don't care about your feelings. We turn it on, his, on its ear and we claim that the feelings don't care about the facts of biology and physiology and genetics. And if you feel like you're a woman, you are one, even though that just isn't so. It's crazy talk. It's Gnosticism to the extreme. It does. It denies the body. It denies reality. It elevates personal opinion. And it actually celebrates the fact that these kids are graduating with feelings rather than facts. And then we turn them loose after we've ginned them all up with anti-Americanism and anti-colonialism. And there's no pastor out there and there's no parent out there correcting this nonsense. All three entities, we've got helicopter parenting, where they want to be a friend rather than a dad or a mom. We've got pastors who want to be liked and popular and grow their church numerically rather than qualitatively grounded in scripture. And then we've got professors that are arrogant and they think they know more than God. And you combine those three things and we've got a culture that's rotting. Uh, and what I what I sense with, uh, with pastors that I talk to, it's... Um... It's reminiscent of, I think it was Chuck Colson who was talking to a young lady, and I'm trying to pull her name. You may have it. She grew up, she saw what happened in Nazi Germany, and after the fact, she was looking back, and she began to talk about this uh, cycle of silence or uh, this cone of silence where people, once a few people stopped talking, it was harder for others to talk. And it gets down to where there's just one or two, because when there's just one person standing up and being courageous, man, that's hard to do. The more people that speak up, the easier it gets. And we're getting to the place now where there are fewer and fewer pastors that are brave enough to stand in the pulpit and say, this is wrong, and that is wrong, and this is what the Bible says. And because of that, the laity is just reaching for something to to make help them make sense of what's going on and and they're being uh, inundated with the media which isn't helping a bit so uh you know as a pastor what do you say to a pastor that's dealing with this very thing and we are uh, what do you say to that pastor what what should they do what can they do what must they do well i'll quote our mutual friend jim garlow here um i was talking him to him about this several years ago it was, it was with regard to the rise of gay marriage and LGBTQIA nihilism and whatnot. And in the midst of me wringing my hands, basically saying, my land, what in the world's going on? Our friend Jim interrupted me and said, Everett, what a wonderful time to be alive. <laughs> and he meant it. You know that Jim Garlow meant that. And, yeah. and I, I'll paraphrase or I'll go further with what I think he was saying. The battle lines are clear. We don't have to guess any longer who's on the right side of this battle. Uh, we know that Jesus has promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. 
And if Jesus is who we claim he is, if he's the second person of the triune God, he isn't lying. His promise is something we can take to the bank. His promise will hold true. We win at the end of days. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. What a wonderful time to be alive, to be able to see where the battle is. It's right there. It's right on the front yard. It's right there across the street from us. The battle lines are clear. So be faithful, be true, wave the banner of the truth of Christ and the truth of scripture. And if you win waving that banner, great, that's God's grace. But if you lose waving that banner, who cares? It's the right banner to wave. Go down fighting in the temporal because you you will win in the eternal. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Amen. Well said. What I've always appreciated about you, Dr. Piper, is, is the winsome way you present these facts. And God's used your voice to package them in such a way that everybody can say, yeah, that's right. That's, that's how I would like to have said it if, if I was addressing this issue. And I appreciate that very much. And so I, I depend upon your wisdom here. I'm building you up because I want to ask you a pointed question. This is where you've got pastors with, with students that are graduating high school. I get asked this all the time. Where should I send my child? Oh, and, 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 and I'm okay. This is my show. I can ask any question and, and, and I'm not answering to any, uh, hierarchy here that's going to going to you know uh nail me for for getting the wrong information out but really honestly what when you get asked that and you do i'm sure what do you tell yeah. them about where they should send their their boys and girls christian boys and girls to to college to a university what do you tell them okay i'm going to answer you in in two ways here first i'm going to tell you how you can figure out on your own which colleges and universities are acceptable for your kids. And then I'm going to give you my short list. Okay. That's good. So I think there's an, an easy way for you as a parent or as a pastor to figure out whether the college that you're considering for your parishioners or for your kids is, is a good one. Um, I'm going to assume that most people listening to your show lean toward a Christian college or a Christian university. Yeah. So Here's what I think you should do. Don't assume that they are what they say they are in their four color brochures. Anybody can do that. Anybody can put together a good website. And I know from personal experience that many of the Christian universities that still claim to be part of the evangelical ethos are soft. So how do you figure it out? Demand a meeting with the president before you decide to enroll in that institution. And if the president won't meet with you, don't go there. You're spending too much money for him to ignore you. Okay, so demand a meeting with the president and ask him some simple questions. Number one, what's your view of truth? Be quiet. Don't let him off the hook by babbling and talking. Just be quiet. What's your view of truth? He knows why you're asking it. He understands post-modernity modernity and modernity, and, and he understands pre-modernity. He understands why you're asking the question. He knows that you're asking, is truth real? Is it an objective reality revealed by God? Are there natural laws? Is there common sense? Is there sense that's common? Is there a revelation of God that trumps human wisdom? He knows why you're asking that. And if he says those things, good, good answer. But if he doesn't answer you that way, then run, go the other direction, because they're not going to teach your son or your daughter that truth is a reality. They're going to teach your son or daughter that truth is a lowercase t. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Everything is constructed by society and by culture, and they're going to elevate opinions over facts. Okay, so what's your view of truth? 
The other question you should ask is, what's your view of Scripture? Be quiet. Listen to the answer. If he says it's inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and true, it's the word of God given to man, it's the ultimate standard of everything that's right and just and real and true, good answer. But if he doesn't say that, run. Go the other direction. Because your kid will be taught that some of the stuff that Paul says isn't really important for us to attend to today. Because that was cultural, after all, you know. Ah. Okay? Now, what's your view of truth and what's your view of scripture? A couple others. What's your view of life? Be quiet and listen. If he tells you that life is defined by God, not by man, good answer. But if if for some reason he starts saying, well, that's a political issue, we don't get into that pro-life, pro-choice debate, go to a different school. What's your view of uh, critical theory? Listen to the answer. If they are critical of critical theory, then you might want to consider them. But if they are not, they've already sold their soul to neo-Marxism as being a measuring rod of things that are true and just and real in that culture, as opposed to the Bible and common sense and the history of Judeo-Christian education. Uh, I also ask, what's your view of Black Lives Matter and some other things like that? So just ask some questions and listen to the answer, and you'll know whether or not that school is legitimate. Schools that I would recommend uh, at the top of my list would be, I like Hillsdale College in Hillsdale, Michigan. They're being faithful and true to their mission. They will not compromise. Good for them. College of the Ozarks in, in Missouri, just south of Branson, is an excellent school. They're conservative. They are grounded in a Christian worldview. They don't apologize for it. And they also elevate hard work and in fact, their nickname is Hard Work You. They believe in personal responsibility and hard work. Oh, shame on them. And they also uh, have classes on patriotism because that's important to that institution. There's a small little school in Moscow, Idaho called New St. Andrews University. Excellent school. They're taking the critical theory nonsense head on. They're addressing it. They're fighting against this stuff. It's a classical rhetorical model of education, which I think is good. So it's a little different than some of the other schools that we're talking about, but you should put that on your list. I think in your own backyard, people might want to consider Cedarville. Cedarville's doing a good job. Uh, you might want to put Colorado Christian and maybe Arizona Christian on your list. They're fighting against the left word leftward lurch of culture, and they're doing it from a Christian perspective. So it's a short list, but I would think about those. Um, there might be another one or two that somebody might stumble across by, the, by virtue of asking the right questions. But I'll tell you, if you don't get the right answers to those questions that I rattled off, I'm telling you, don't go there. It's not worth the money. That is incredible advice. I thank you very much. I appreciate that. It'll help me, and I hope it'll help our listeners as well. Uh, this this article has uh, prompted me to to look at Israel uh, and and the byproduct of what's happening here. But let me just tap in for a moment in closing. Uh, I also get asked the question, what's next? What's coming? Well, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, pers- and I understand this is a opinion. This is, this is what you see. Uh, what would you tell that, that Christian who's looking at everything? What is coming next? What, uh, what do I need to be prepared for? We no longer have the fruit of Judeo-Christian teaching, um, to benefit from in our culture. Somebody asked me on a show yesterday, what happened? When did this all happen? Did it happen in the 60s? 
uh, or did it just happen in the in 2020s? When did this happen? And my argument would be that up until the 60s and 70s, even though we had the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s and whatnot, we were still living off the fruit of, of, a, of, of good education, good church, good culture. And even though some of the roots, some of that stuff was being uprooted in the 60s, we still had the product of those trees, if you will, the fruit of a Judeo-Christian ethic and a Christian culture, a biblical worldview that was sustaining the United States. If you fast forward now from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, maybe some of that fruit was still around during those decades. It's becoming increasingly rotten because it's no longer attached to any tree. Today, that fruit has either been completely consumed or it's rancid. It's completely rotten. So we don't have any Christian virtue as part of the very foundation of our culture any longer. And we will not be able to sustain ourselves without that. I want to remind people that the word culture includes the word, the root word cult. Now, that's not a reference to a false religion. Cult doesn't necessarily mean a fake religion, a false religion. Cult meant to cultivate. It's an agricultural term. So culture is to cultivate with common rows of consistency that are parallel across the field, if you will, of your society, of your country, of your church, and of your family. If you're not cultivating commonality, common rows, the, the furrows of the field any longer, then all you've got is chaos and overlapping nonsense. And you can't plant anything in that field and harvest a crop. We no longer have the binding glue of our culture to hold us together any longer. So what's next? Barring a revival where we return to the common sense, the sense that's common, the natural law, the law of God, the Bible as our true north, I'd say we have some tough times ahead because you've got kids that can't tell you Osama bin Laden's letter calling upon the bombing of the World Trade Center is a bad thing. They now think that might be justified. So we've got tough times ahead for us, uh, uh, for us. but I, I go back to Garlow. What a wonderful time to be alive. The yeah. battle lines are clear. Amen. Yeah, friend, my old friend of mine, Frank Moore, you say, it's, it's a great day to be a Christian. So I, I concur there. Thank you so much. And thanks for, thanks for your time. Thanks for the work you do and the difference you're making. I deeply appreciate that. And thanks for being my friend. I appreciate that as well. God bless you, Dr. Piver. Okay, take care. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, to learn more about LifePoint, to access past episodes of Right to Point podcast and commentary. And if you'd like to support the podcast, visit LifePointUSA.org. Also, check out DrEverettPiper.com. God bless you, and we'll see you next time for a fresh edition of Right to the Point. Bye.